Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport, the ultimate preview to the weekend's footballing action. Alongside me, Sam Matterface, this week, the assistant editor of The Mirror, Darren Lewis, and TalkSport's Alex Crook, as Newcastle fans sell out St James's Park as they prepare to shake up the Premier League. The Mike Ashley years at Newcastle United are over. The Saudi-led takeover at St James's Park has been approved by the Premier League. John's 11-year-old. Honestly, he's, he, he was, he's crying his eyes out when I come in last night. We're jumping around. Absolute scenes. Oh, yeah, it's unreal. We want to invest at, at every level and we obviously want to get the best club we possibly can. We will look at what the immediate future holds for the tune and look at every fixture this weekend as Liverpool lack any Brazilian influence. Watford have a new manager. Leicester and Manchester United are clogging up the sick bays. And there's a tasty West London derby. All that plus a West Midlands derby match that will add spice to Saturday and Southampton, Norwich, Burnley and Newcastle all go in search of their first wins this season in the Premier League. And two of them definitely won't get them this weekend. We'll tell you why on the podcast that previews all the action. It's the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. Is game day. Oh, I feel so good. Ah, yes, how nice it is for everyone to be back together. It's been three weeks since the three of us got to do this. I must say, it's a, it, it was an untimely hiatus in one way, bearing in mind that we departed with you two butting heads, and quite frankly, it robbed Crook the opportunity to rub Darren's nose in it. Um, <laughs> and uh, obviously, we wouldn't want to encourage that, but we kind of did want to hear it. Um, how are you both? Okay? I'm good. I'm good. Oh, you know yeah. what? It, it feels a lot longer than three weeks. It feels like an eternity. Have West Ham kept a clean sheet while I've been away? <laughs> <laughs> or not? <laughs> I thought you'd be a much more gracious winner than that. No, you didn't. Come on. No, you didn't. You never thought that he would be a gracious winner. Um, look, England excellent in Andorra, off night against Hungary. I was really surprised that Tagara Southgate took off Jack Grealish in that game. Uh, the recipe of playing five City players and both Mount and Foden in midfield didn't quite work for them. Grealish was the best player on the park for me. But I'm more concerned, I think, Darren, about the form of one Harold Kane who is really struggling. I mean, Sterling struggling in that game as well. But, I mean, Harry Kane hardly touched the ball. I'm not as concerned as you are. Are you not? Yes. No, not at all. I, I think 
Let me give you a little bit of perspective. He's scored nine goals so far this season. Okay, none in the Premier League, but I think there are a lot of strikers who wouldn't mind nine goals by this stage of the season. The game he didn't score in the other day was only his first World Cup qualifier in 15 when he's failed to find the net. And as we all know, Harry Kane's been written off early season many, many times. I think all he needs to do is take a look at the three golden boots that he's got on his mental piece and his World Cup golden boot to know that he finds his stride invariably, eventually. And the people who are worried normally go very quiet. I'll probably come down more on Sam's side of the fence because, yes, he's got nine goals, but if you break it down, there have been some poor opposition that he scored against, and even in the, in the World Cup qualifiers. Well, you have to be honest, you know, this Europa Conference League so far isn't worth the paper it's written on in, in terms You're of... You're going to hurt your back moving the goalpost, Crook. In, in the Premier League, he has looked way off it, and he looked way off it for England the other night. I don't know if that was necessarily his fault. I thought Gareth Southgate's team selection was very un-Gareth Southgate in some ways and having indicated in the build-ups to the match that he wouldn't bow to public pressure for me he then did bow to public pressure by playing both Foden and Grealish Grealish very unhappy when he was taken off it isn't going to stop England qualifying for the World Cup we know that um, but it, it does for me raise concerns again about the, the tactical acumen of Gareth Southgate when you go deep into a tournament. I think he had to experiment he, and he wanted to see what it was like playing with two eights and he actually said to me two weeks out he was going to play one game with Mount and Foden either side of Rice because he wanted to see how those two could work together and he'd played both these opponents and thought that there was a possibility to experiment there they did that it didn't work but they had to try it I mean you know like you said they're going to qualify for the World Cup anyway you've, you've got to use these games there's not many matches between now and the start of the World Cup you've got to use them to experiment absolutely and, and I think we are going to qualify so I don't have any concerns whatsoever. We've got a couple of home games coming up, as I understand it. You may correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, they've got to go away to, no, they've got to go away to uh, San Marino and they're at home to Albania. Right, okay. So We could go away to San Marino and still qualify for the World Cup. I keep saying fact, that. That's not true. You wouldn't beat, you would not, you were in a team, you would not beat San Marino. <laughs> I think I would. I, believe me, that every single one of the members of the San Marino squad are 10 times fitter than you are. And me and Darren. So you don't think if you put one of us in the England team with 10 other regular England players, you don't think we beat San Marino? No, I don't think it's possible for you and 11 other players of similar fitness to take on San Marino and beat them. It just wouldn't happen. It just wouldn't happen. I'll replace Harry Kane against San Marino. We win the game and I'll probably score a couple. I doubt it. You would never score against them. You would never score against them. If you're listening to this and you're, you have an opinion one way or another, please, please, please do get in touch with us. How can, no, can anyone get in touch with us? Is yeah, that possible, yeah. Sam? At Alex underscore Crook or uh, at Alex underscore Crook, if you want to get in touch. <laughs> um, right, anyway, look, England had... Uh, it, was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was Gareth Southgate's five-year anniversary uh, last week, and it, it's been a pretty successful five years. Uh, but I did notice that there was a 15-week period in autumn 2016 where England had three different managers. Unheard of, really. Well, unless you're Watford, which leads us nicely on to game day. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Welcome back. And boy, are we ready. Game day returns to your radio and it's bigger and bolder than ever before. It's Melissar, surely now from the beginning you know, when uh, something was uh, wrong I say hey dilly 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 dong wake up wake up 3-0 to Liverpool 
Unstoppable shot by Mo Salah. It's a wonderful free kick from James Ward-Prowse. It's going all Saints' way. Sees it up for Rafinha. Goal for Leeds United. Never right off Brentford. They've done it again. Absolute breath of fresh air. I've really enjoyed watching them play. Mixed the game up well. Playing with quality, confidence, belief. What a finish from Romelu Lukaku. Welcome home, fella. He's on the score sheet in blue at Stamford Bridge now. We are serious. We are doing things serious. And when we play a competition, we play to, we play to win it. Game day back in all its glory. Let's start at Vicarage Road, where there is a new king wearing the Hornets' thorny crown. Former Premier League winner Claudio Ranieri is in charge. Will this be a wake-up call of the Dilly Dong variety for Watford, or will it go Dilly Wrong, Crook? Probably leaning towards Dilly Wrong, um, to be honest. Listen, what Claudio Ranieri and that group of players achieved at Leicester is nothing short of miraculous. But I do wonder how much credit we can give Claudio Ranieri for that title triumph and how much credit needs to go to the dressing room and the likes of Jamie Vardy, who was exceptional that year, and Riyad Mahrez and Wes Morgan, Kasper Schmeichel, the list goes on. And I do fear that Watford may just have hired the Claudio Ranieri that fouled at Fulham as opposed to one who succeeded at Leicester. He's 70 years of age now. Yes, he's a, a bit of an extrovert. We saw that in the press conference already. And I think he will bring a smile to the players' faces. But that wasn't necessarily... Um, the problem with Isco Munoz, he was a very upbeat character, very jovial guy, pre and post match, and quite popular with the players by all accounts. I think tactically it is where he came up short, and I do worry that that may well be the the same case for Ranieri as well. At the moment, I would still have Watford as one of the two bankers to be relegated along with Norwich. I'm not sure this appointment changes too much on the face of it. He did quite well at saving Sampdoria and Roma is very popular there. And he said yesterday, you know, it's pretty normal in Italy to go to a club for a couple of months or even a year if you're lucky and then move on. That's what happens every single season in Serie A. But over here, up until recently, obviously we've got used to having managers for two, three years at a time. But actually, he said, it doesn't happen anywhere really now. I mean, you're lucky if you get to stay in a job for 18 months. So, he, he, obviously, if you have that many jobs, and he has had quite a few, you are going to have some failures and some successes. But there's no doubt that he is a manager of some repute, Darren. Well, he has been. Um, I looked at the press conference in midweek. It was still the same clearly or an eerie shtick. Um, uh, there's still the same jokes about pizza if you win, and you know, it, it's almost like a vaudeville act, really. That it, it's it's not really changed since it was last uh, in your theatres. And you predicated this conversation by talking about England, and you you know you had the little joke about those three managers that had had in a short space of time. But as soon as they got a manager that things worked with, they supported him through the difficult times. And I think this is less about Ranieri and more about the whole Watford model because they've had 15 managers in 11 years. during I think it was a 14-15 season. They had three managers during the campaign and they started the subsequent season with another. And I just don't think, and we've said this before when Munoz was sacked, that you can get any cohesion, any proper strategy, any loyalty, any authority in the dressing room when you have a situation where you're changing your managers all the time. 
And I, I think this is going to end in tears. I think they're going to get a rude awakening against a high-caliber Liverpool side that will score goals for fun. And their fixture list after Liverpool isn't too clever either. So I think Watford will go down. I've got no compunction about saying that whatsoever. Uh, Watford uh, haven't kept a clean sheet in the league this season. They considered three against Stoke in the Cup. Sorting the defence out has got to be the priority, but they couldn't ask for a tougher start. Um, but I suppose you sort of point to the fact that in their title-winning season, Watford were the first team to beat them, Crook. Yeah, and uh, I remember listening to your commentary that day, Ishmael Assar in particular, absolutely outstanding live on TalkSport. And he is a player... I think on his day is probably the one true match winner that Watford do have. But I tend to agree with Darren. I think this new manager bounce, if you look at the stats, is a, a little bit of a myth. Uh, more managers newly appointed lose their first game than than win them. Uh, and Liverpool going into the international break on red hot form. Mohamed Salah for me is certainly the best player in the Premier League right now. Possibly the best player on form in the world. If you're asking me if there's Watford defence and Claudio Ranieri and Claudio Ranieri can keep him at bay, the obvious answer is no. So I think this will be a fairly comprehensive victory for Liverpool once the fanfare has, has died down. And if they could just get a foothold of the game early on, I, I see it being an, another difficult afternoon for Watford. A dream of Claudio Ranieri being announced onto the playing surface and he comes out before the game with a big bell singing dilly ding, dilly dong, and, you know, just walking around <laughs> the whole thing. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't write it off. <laughs> Actually, I watched the press conference as well and the BBC did this thing where they did an interview with him pitch side um, and then they interjected a press conference from a f- previous job in which he took and um, that little clip from the previous press conference was exactly the same phrase as he used during the interview with Simon Stone on the BBC and I did think to myself hold on <laughs> like you say is a little bit of an act. Uh, Liverpool uh, showed their live contenders um, before the international break um, which I think I think we all thought they would be with a display against Manchester City. But they are hampered, aren't they, by injury and missing Brazilians because Alisson and Fabinho will not play. Um, Fabinho quoted overnight saying, we're going to go straight to Spain uh, so that we don't have to quarantine and we'll be ready for the Atletico Madrid game on Tuesday. Diogo Jota was sent home from Portugal duty. Uh, Jones had a bit of a knock. Trent Alexander-Arnold, I understand, is going to be OK and has been given the all-clear to return and no news on Tiago yet and look it is a strange situation Darren but there is going to be a sense of this being not Liverpool's first team yeah but if Van Dijk wasn't playing I'd be worried he's playing they'll win you love Virgil van Dijk don't you I mean, I mean let's go have back to the Sam poster? have you got a life-size poster on your on your bedroom wall let's go back to the San Marino analogy do you think do you, do you think that if you played alongside Virgil van Dijk Liverpool would keep a clean sheet <laughs> do you think he's that good no 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 I know I think I'm that bad I don't think he could improve me that much but I think with the players listen you just mentioned the players that are not available and of course Alisson world class we know that there isn't really there are substitute keepers at Liverpool for him but none of them are in his class so that would be a slight worry but of the other players that you say are not available none of them I think weaken Liverpool necessarily and so from that point of view I've got no concerns and I mentioned Van Dijk because I think the defensive rock that will win them the title this season is is him 
and he has that transformative effect on their defence. And I think when he's not there, you see just how easy it is to score against Liverpool. But when he's back, they're near invincible. And that's why I don't have any concerns at all. What do you make about the row that unfolded about the fixture kickoff time? I mean, I know that Liverpool asked for it to be moved to 5.30 or 7.45 because of the issues with the Brazilians getting back. It turns out with the quarantine situation, they probably wouldn't have been able to get around that anyway, would they? So I know Watford decided that they wouldn't push the game back because they thought that their fans had already organised their travel plans. Um, Is it a case of Liverpool thinking they should be a special case or is this ridiculous logistics from the Premier League? It's unusual for Jurgen Klopp to complain about a 12.30 kickoff on a Saturday. We haven't heard that particular record before. Listen, someone's got to play in that time slot. Uh, Premier League clubs are more than happy to take the riches that come from television rights. So if not Liverpool, then, then who else? I, I do think on the face of it, it's it's harsh on what, whatever team has to play at 12.30 on a Saturday afternoon international break, especially, as you say, uh, with the Brazil situation. We'll talk about Rafinha um, later. He may well have to quarantine anyway, but he, he couldn't physically get back into the UK until Friday tea time, Friday evening after playing on Thursday. So it would be unlikely Marcelo Bielsa would use him. But as I say, someone has to play at 12.30 on a Saturday. In this case, it's Liverpool. The fixtures were laid out a long time ago. Put up and shut up. Just stop it. I think the most important thing is it's, it's truly deserved. Looking with my own eyes, we we got definitely well-deserved throw points. Pulls it back to Buemo! Brilliant goal for Brentford! They lead by two goals to nil! Playing with quality, confidence, belief. What a finish from Romelu Lukaku! He's on the score, shooting through at Stamford Bridge now! We are serious, we are doing things serious, and when we play a competition, we play, we play to win it. Flicked on by Havertz across the goalkeeper and in, and Chelsea have stolen a lead! I think Chelsea got a great chance to win the league this season. Brentford against Chelsea is 5.30 on Talk Sport. Uh, top of the table, Chelsea, heading just a few steps down the Cromwell Road to Brentford. The bees of her Arsenal and Liverpool at home. And Chelsea did not look sharp just before the international break. Um, how much danger do they face on Kew Bridge, Darren? I think quite a lot. I was at Brentford's last game before the international break. They beat West Ham, a very capable West Ham side. You guys have been giving me stick about them. Uh, and I think... Did they keep a clean sheet? West no, Ham, they didn't. No. It's all right. I'll put my hands in, up. In the last game or this year? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you'd be a much more gracious I'm hungry, actually, by the way. I'm, I'm hungry. Has anyone had dinner <laughs> recently that Darren's supposed to buy? No? No one's had that? Okay. Sorry. Go on, Darren. Yeah, you were saying. Anyway, um, Thomas Frank, after the match against West Ham, was talking about the fact that they he's delighted that they've become everyone's second favourite team, but not in a patronising way. I think they've won admirers because they work for hard for each other. Defensively, they all put in a shift up front. Uh, the, their front line of uh, Ivan Tony and Brian Mbuemo and, you know, the, the players that support them, they do so well. And West Ham had no answer to them. And I think if there are any Chelsea players that are not on it for this game, I think we could see a huge shock. And that's going to play massively to their advantage. Um, Mount is back and he helped turn the tide against Southampton. And in truth, Chelsea should have won 
that game by more. But the midfield configuration isn't quite right yet. And they've dropped points against Juve, who are pretty average in the Champions League. Um, they dropped other points in the Premier League, which maybe they shouldn't have done. And they didn't look particularly bright against Aston Villa when they did win by three goals to nil. Lukaku needs a goal too, doesn't he? But apparently he's only 50-50 for the game, Crook. I was just about to say that. that that's assuming that he's fit for the game. Obviously, having returned early from international duty with Belgium. Same for Antonio Rudiger, who is also carrying a knock. I think that would be just as big a blow for Chelsea. He's been exceptional um, Rudiger, possibly the best uh, best defender in the Premier League so far this season. But you're right, Lukaku does need a goal, obviously hit the ground running. And I think <laughs> we all thought that he would just keep on scoring and probably go on and win the golden boot. Hasn't quite materialised. But I think if you look at over the course of Lukaku's career, he is a streaky player when he's hot, he's red hot. When he isn't, um, he can look quite lethargic and quite disinterested at times. So Chelsea will be hoping that Chelsea will be hoping the fact he didn't play uh, too much for Belgium during the break would have sharpened him up. They'll obviously be hoping he will be fit. But I think this is a, a really dangerous game on paper for Chelsea, particularly if Rudiger uh, isn't available. Ivan Tony could be a real handful for what would then be a makeshift back line. Yeah, Brentford are very good at solving on-field puzzles as well, aren't they? Frank switches and changes it up. He makes substitutions that impact the game. He beat Arsenal, beat West Ham, and Wolves already. Drew with Crystal Palace, Liverpool... Villa, they're well on their way to safety. They don't have Shandon Baptiste because of his dislocated shoulder. Christopher Ayer is a doubt. Vitaly Yanol is not going to be available for the game as well. Obviously, Chelsea suffering from the Brazilian problem too. Thiago Silva is not going to make it. Rudiger, you've already mentioned, has got a back issue. I mean, the suggestion is he probably will be okay for the match. James, Pulisic, Conte, all still questionable. Conte recovering from COVID. I think this is going to be a bit of a theme of the podcast, actually is that players that haven't come back from international duty at full tilt. And it's going to be a very difficult weekend because of that, I think, for a lot of managers up and down the country. Yeah, I think just a quick one, Crook. I mean, I think a lot of people who are maybe looking at their fantasy teams for this weekend might want to bear that in mind. I think we'll see possibly one or two shock results this weekend for all the reasons that you've just mentioned, Sam, key players not available, players not quite on form. Just to correct uh, Lukaku, he has, you say he needs a goal. Well, we're recording this the day after he scored a goal um, for, sorry, a few days after he scored a goal um, against France. So he's not struggling from that point of view. Um, But I do take your point. He hasn't scored. I think it's in six matches for Chelsea. Very pedantic there, Darren. We were clearly talking about Chelsea and not Belgium. (laughs) But the point is that you said he needs a goal and he's had a goal in his very last game that he pulled on a pair of boots. So I think confidence-wise, he he, he should be okay. It's not the confidence there problem, is it? The the issue is actually getting him into the game, Chelsea getting him into the game. And I mentioned the midfield configuration. That's the issue. It's, It's finding him that is being a bit of a problem for Chelsea. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, and you know, I would agree with you both on the fact that, that they still haven't quite found that a kind of slick, if you like, way to, to kind of build that link between the attack and, sorry, the midfield and attack. Bear in mind, we're all saying this and Chelsea sit top of the league going into this weekend. So, and they did win their last game 3-1 against Southampton. 
But listen, it's hard for me to make any more of a case for them beyond that because you're right, both of you. I think as far as Chelsea are concerned, they're still not quite at it just yet. And I think the potential absolutely is there for at least a draw for Brentford. Southampton's wait for a Premier League win goes on. Tough, absolutely tough. We knew that it's a tough season. We knew that we had a tough schedule in the beginning. Here's Adam Armstrong onside! Adam Armstrong! A debut goal for Southampton! Where are they heading now this season? It's, it's going to be very difficult without Ings in the building. I think they'll stay up, but they've got to be looking over their shoulder. Tease it up for Rafinha! I think the way they're playing football and the quality they've got on the side, they'll be absolutely fine. They play such a free-flowing, attacking game of football. An absolute thunderbolt from Luke Ayling. We're confident in what we do, the way we apply ourselves, the way we train, and the group we've got. Um, like I said, we're a match for anyone in this league. Uh, Southampton against Leeds. Talk Sport 2, 3 o'clock on Saturday. Southampton against Leeds is our... 3pm commentary. These two both need a win, Crooks. Saints especially who haven't won any of their last seven games. Yeah, I've been tasked by Adrian Durham to put together a feature for game day, uh, basically asking should Ralph Hasenhut will be under more pressure. And you know I'm a massive supporter of the Austrian, a big advocate of what he's done since he came in at St Mary's. But I have to say I'm struggling a little bit to be quite as vociferous in my defence. They've won four of their last 28 Premier League games. Two of the teams they've beaten are no longer even in the Premier League. They're both now in the Championship. Um, And they have this annoying ability to keep throwing away points. 62 points dropped from winning positions since Ralph Hasenhutl came in. So something is clearly a miss there because they start games well quite often get themselves in front but either don't have the the mental capability or the physical capability perhaps because of the demands that Hasenhutl makes on his players in training to get the job done. This is a massive game for Hasenhutl and for Southampton and it kicks off a massive run of games for the Saints. They've got Watford to play, they've got Burnley I think, they've got Norwich coming up on the horizon as well. If they're still struggling for wins this time in six weeks I think his position does have to come under the microscope. You can't keep losing games and expect not to be asked serious questions. The, the actual truth is they haven't got the money to replace him and get anybody else in and, and have all the associated costs with that. So they have to put their faith in Ralph Harsen, who are one of the players that they've decided to bring in. And the truth is that the players that they have brought in, there is some talent there, especially younger ones, Livramento, Brozier, who scored an international duty for Albania. And I wouldn't be too surprised if they saw him uh, as someone they could use more often going forward. Um, they're just not good enough. The, the, the squad isn't good enough or deep enough, is it? That's the truth. Well, Ralph will say otherwise. He, well, he says has this to. Is the, he's got no he choice. He's not going to turn around. squad that he's had at his disposal. He's not going to turn around and say um, it's not good enough, is he? I mean, because he's got to motivate them to try and stay in the Premier League. But it, the truth is, you look at it, it isn't. Yeah. Um, and it's a dangerous tactic, isn't it? We said this before. They, they obviously moved on some senior players this summer, Danny Ings, Ryan Bertrand, Yannick Vestergaard. They've clearly had a, a strategy, maybe by necessity, as opposed to design, to bring in young up-and-coming players. The likes of Liveramento has been outstanding so far. Uh, Brodeur, I think, probably deserves a, a bit of a chance in the first team because Adam Armstrong, apart from a debut goal, hasn't pulled up any trees. And obviously, Shea Adams may not be fit for this weekend. I, I think it's a tough season for Southampton. I thought before the Wolves game... 
there would be three worse teams than them. The Wolves game, I think, was a bit of a wake-up call for a lot of people because they were so poor. Even people like James Ward-Prowse probably had his worst game ever in a Southampton shirt, and I don't say that lightly. So there are big problems there. I do think the absence of Rafinha gives them a good chance against this Leeds team. I think he's so important for Marcelo Bielsa. Yeah, Leeds dominated against Watford and would deserve winners in that game, but Bamford returning still seems ambitious. There's no Rafinha. Phillips missing is big for them too. A calf strain kept him out of international duty. Luke Ayling's had surgery. So actually, I mean, that levels the playing field a little bit, Darren. And plays into what I was saying before about the fact that no game really, except for I would imagine the Watford game uh, against Liverpool. Don't get cocky. Don't get cocky. (laughs) I I just got a text from Virgil van Dijk. He's he's, going to take the weekend off. He's going to go straight to Spain. (laughs) Now you're in trouble. Uh, But but, but D. Lewis is available. Yeah. (laughs) Listen, I didn't say what you said, Crook. Um, I don't think I'd be anywhere near good enough to be able to deputise for any of those. Uh, Liverpool players but now just to go back to what you were saying you did kind of get me thinking Crook about the managers that are under pressure because I think Bielsa might be as under as much pressure as uh, Hasenhutl and if not should he be they've only won two of their nine games in all competitions this season they've only won once in the Premier League so far this season and the, the, the run of form that they're on at the moment they need to win this as much as Southampton, don't they? Yeah, I think you're right. Um, And I think it was always going to be a difficult second season for Leeds. And again, Adrian Durham has hammered me for this, but I always felt that Bielsa needed a plan B. Leeds' plan A is very good, uh, but when it isn't working, (laughs) it, it can be very bad. They can suffer heavy defeats. They can give away chances. Obviously, Bamford has been a key absentee, but I'm not convinced even if he stays fit for the entire season, he will be able to emulate what he did last year. So I, th- I think you're right. I think Leeds uh, Leeds are one of the teams who will be looking nervously over their shoulder. I don't think they'll go down. And I think the reason that Bielsa possibly isn't uh, under any pressure is just because of how much the fans up there love Bielsa. They, they love what he's done for that football club, getting them back into the Premier League. But I don't think he should be above criticism. Absolutely. Not above criticism, but it's a little bit fickle to suggest that this earlier in the season he's going to be under pressure, bearing in mind that there are four teams below them in the table so far. They've had reasonably difficult fixtures. They have had injury issues. And he did get them back into the Premier League for the first time in 16 years. And when you're a club like Leeds that have been craving promotion back to the big time, and then you finally got it after... I mean, such a long, long time in the wilderness. I mean, he's not going to be discarded. I do think, actually, at the end of the season, it'll be different because I think he has a cycle and he's always operated on very short tenures. So it'll be a surprise if he continues after this summer. And that will, I think, come with danger for Leeds United. But I think they'll give him at least until the end of the season. And I think he's earned the right to be able to do that. Can I just give you another reason why I think Southampton might well have some success this weekend? They do very well off the back of international breaks. Obviously, they don't have as many international players as some other teams in the Premier League, and it gives Ralph Hasenhutl a chance to spend a couple of weeks on the training pitch, try and get his methods across. He, he, he's a manager who tends to do better when he's got more time with his players. So I, I, I think Southampton might win the game is this, this weekend. Is this, maybe, is this you maybe, loving Ralph Maybe that again? would be... a. 
maybe that would be an upset. You know, one of the shocks that, that, that Darren has talked about. But I'm, I'm fairly confident this weekend. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. The Mike Ashley years at Newcastle United are over. The Saudi-led takeover at St James's Park has been approved by the Premier League. Newcastle United isn't a draw right now. They're a draw because people's perception will be they've got lots of money. That will take time to land in the marketplace. My son's 11-year-old. Honestly, he's, he, he was, he's crying his eyes out when I come in last night. We're jumping around. Absolute scenes. Up here, it's unreal. I know they're second from bottom of the Premier League, but they've got a chance now mm. to reinvest in January. The first signing for the Newcastle fans is going to set set a template, I think, on where they might be going. Haaland, I think the long term, I think he, he's aggressive, he scores goals, he's right up my alley. Newcastle have zero history. They have nothing. Honestly, they have a Texaco trophy, intercity fairs. I'm just hoping for some great times back at St James's Park because those fans thoroughly deserve it. People remember the entertainers, people remember how we used to play football and people want to be entertained. That's you know that's what Kevin Keegan drummed into us many, many years ago. You know, we want very much to be able to invest in the club, invest in the north, invest in in Newcastle. Newcastle against Tottenham is 4.30 on Sunday. Uh, Eddie Howe, Frank Lampard, Antonio Conte, Donald Trump, anyone who's currently out of a job sent their CV into Newcastle, begging them to be their new manager. But at the time of recording, hold on, let's have a quick look. Yep. At the time of recording, and it seems strange because putting Darren Lewis in charge would probably be more preferable uh, to the Gallagher um, than Steve Bruce turning up on Sunday. But he is still in charge. Um, it would be an easy win for the new Saudi-backed consortium to have removed him. And, and put the kit man in the dugout. Why haven't they done it? What's the current situation? Will Steve Bruce be getting on his biker? Well, yes, in a word. And even if you take away the new owners, um, all the politics, the, the very serious politics and everything else that surrounds it, if you look at the run of form of the, of the team, they're second from bottom. They're without a win so far this season. 
he would be under pressure uh, set against that he kept them in the Premier League with a really good solid end of season run last time around so when people ask why um, he should get the sack and clearly the Newcastle fans are not having him whatsoever but the fact is that you know if you're tasked with keeping a club in the Premier League and you do that then you, you've done what's been asked of you uh, by uh, Mike Ashley look in general terms, I think it's a mess at the moment because his job right now is to prepare the team for the weekend. And yet the talk is that he's going to be sacked ahead of the weekend. So how do those players know, go in knowing what their job is and who's going to tell them what their job is? And if you give, if you sack him, why would you put Graham Jones in charge? Graham Jones works for him, follows his orders. So what is Graham Jones going to do any differently to what Steve Bruce has done? And not only that, but if you look at Graham Jones's record at Bournemouth, it wasn't particularly great. So I, I think this is a period where maybe the club need a little bit, the fans deserve a little bit of transparency because at the moment, all I can see is him going into a match against Spurs where Spurs are going to take advantage of a side that are all over the place. Uh, you talk about transparency. I mean, it's going to be a very different world at St. James's Park in terms of transparency than it has been over the last 10 years. Those who aren't Newcastle supporters will not necessarily know just how obstructive the Ashley regime was um, to the press and to any scrutiny. I remember Wendy Taylor, who was the previous press secretary there for many years, you pull her hair out that she was restricted so dreadfully. She couldn't set up interviews. She couldn't uh, allow managers to talk at certain times. Kath, the tea lady, sadly, dearly departed now a few years back, but she was presiding over this, used to presiding over this community press room for years where people from the local area would all get together. We'd all sit there whenever we went up there. She was great company and it would all be very sort of family orientated. But Ashley stripped all that back. And at one stage, they wouldn't even give the press a cup of tea, let alone access to a post-match interview with the manager. Um, the idea of talking to the owners, discussing the plans with the owners was never really on the agenda, but now it is more forthcoming. I mean, owners have, the owners have been doing interviews all week telling you what yeah, they're going Sam, to achieve. Sam, let's not kid ourselves, and I think we shouldn't. There is a reason why, you know, we can't, and I don't want to go deeply into those reasons because it's a football podcast. I understand but that, but what, what I'm trying to illustrate is, is exactly the difference, what the difference between the, the two. Well, but yeah, but there, there is a big difference. And, and reason, it's a reason why, in many respects, it's quite strategic that they've come in and taken over from one of the most hated owners the Premier League has ever seen, because that plays right into what the regime want to do. They want to be seen as saviours. They've come in with deep pockets and they are the antidote to what has been a nightmare 14 years under Mike Ashley. But I... It, Listen, the fans have got no control over the decision-making process. Neither do we. We are football journalists and we don't have that control. But I think, and we will go on to talk about the football as we should, because they have been, you know, passed as a football entity, so we treat them like any other club. But I think the context of the transparency or the way that they are being received should be set against why they want to be perceived that way. Their strategy is working, and that is very, very important. Look, I don't think we the idea of sport and politics not mixing 
um, is something you can ignore anymore. I mean, the sport and politics has been mixing for years. Football, NFL, cricket, the Olympics are being used for political gain and have been for eons. And let's be honest, if we start listing the products that we're comfortable using because they are 100% ethical, we're going to have a very, very short list. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. And, and football can make hypocrites out of us all very, very quickly. I decided actually what I was going to do, because I don't, Obviously, you read all the reports and you look at all of the newspaper coverage of it. I actually thought I'd do a bit of reading on PIF and um, MBS. So I'm currently doing that. I'm reading a couple of books on on the current regime and how they finance different entities. So I think it's probably a good idea to, to sort of make sure that you're informed before you start passing comment. Well, yeah, I think it's a relevant point that Dara makes, though, um, when he talks about being an antidote and why they've handpicked Newcastle, because it's a question that I've been asked by a lot of um, my football-supporting friends. Why Newcastle? And I do think part of the draw was the fact they knew they would get such a warm welcome because they aren't Mike Ashley. If they tried to buy another football club, uh, maybe one with an owner who wasn't so hated maybe more of their supporters would have had more concerns about the human rights issues. So I think it's really relevant what Darren said. I, th- I think as well, you know, on, on top of that, that, yes, it's important to do detailed reading, but even a cursory reading of the news agenda over the past couple of years will will reveal some things that should concern us all. Mm. And it's not our job to be cheerleaders for them. It's our job to talk about the issues that surround them. You are right to say that there are other owners around whom there are ethical concerns in the Premier League. Um, and again, that's not the fans' fault. They don't have any control. And that's not our fault. Our job is to talk about football. But it's also not our job to talk about football to the exclusion of the other things that are real concerns for real people. Uh, And I just think that when we talk about how wonderful they are because they are going to come in and they're going to bring the A-list players, we have to understand why they are embarking on that strategy. No more, no less. Tottenham, good win against Villa, but this is not a game that Nuno needed with the blood up on Geordie Shaw, um, especially seeing as both teams have scored in six of Newcastle's last seven games. Um, I think the, the sort of chaos over the managerial position may well play into their hands, but ultimately could go the other way, couldn't it? Because if, for example, just before kickoff, everybody realises that Steve Bruce is no longer there, all of a sudden, the atmosphere inside St James's Park is completely different to, to what it would be. It is a ridiculous situation that we we could well go into this game waiting to see which manager leads Newcastle out of the tunnel. I don't think that's fair on anybody. I I don't think it is fair on the players. And I don't think it's fair on Steve Bruce. This is someone who's managed 999 games. Now, I think it would be uh, wonderful for him to get to 1,000. I don't think this is the, the, the dream scenario at all. And people will say, well, why is he not walking away? We know why he's not walking away, because he wants his payoff. That's the way of the world. Very few managers walk away from a contract. He is a dead man walking. He will be replaced. And I don't really understand why the board are dragging their heels. I get why perhaps they're dragging their heels over a long-term successor because this is a dangerous appointment for Newcastle because it is such a, a, a lucrative job now. Every manager under the sun will be chucking their hat into the ring. They have to get the right manager. If you look at what happened with Manchester City when, when they first got new money, obviously Mark Hughes was the manager at the time. Uh, Sven was he manager, was really 
Sorry, Sven was the manager at the Fen time. Was under, Fen was Sven was under Thax in Senuatra, wasn't he? Yeah, but that was new money, wasn't it? That was a huge amount oh, of yes. new money. Yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. But then you had the Mark Hughes scenario where he was literally sacked before a game and still took charge. They also got their fingers burnt, Manchester City, on several big signings to start with. I remember the fanfare when Rubinho came in. They probably didn't get value for money from him. So I think Newcastle need a calculated approach here. They can't just think because we've got more money than everybody else, we're going to get overnight success. That doesn't happen. No. They might not see the fruits of their labour for three seasons. Yeah, and that's no, fair I, enough. They might go down. They might still go down this season, by the way. They're second from bottom. They can't sign anybody until January, which is a difficult market anyway. There's no guarantee that this money is going to keep them in the Premier League this season. Yeah, it's a good point. And I think on top of that, you know, you've got a group of players who are well aware that it's only a matter of time before individually each and every one of them is replaced by A-listers. I just want to say, though, that, you know, as far as I, I totally agree with what you were saying about their, the, the importance. I was talking on the main TalkSport channel on Thursday about the fact that if you are, there are the three key signings that they make that are going to be key to the direction of the football club. The manager, because if you get a high caliber manager, like for example, an Antonio Conte straight away, everybody knows you mean business. He's won the title in, with Chelsea in Premier League. He's won the league in Italy with Inter Milan. He's turned down Spurs because they have not shown him enough ambition. This is a guy who wants to win. So straight away, if you bring in Antonio Conte, you're bringing in a winner. You're bringing in someone who wants to attract high caliber players. The second one is the head of recruitment because the guy that you bring in, he's going to have a track record of bringing in exciting talents with a good profile. You don't want someone who's going to come in, an agent who's going to bring his tired old players in and go through his contacts book and, you know, bring in the kind of players, for example, that we saw in the early days of QPR, where the recruitment process was all over the place. And then third of all, the first signing, that tells you where that club is going to go. Do you remember the first signing at Chelsea? Um, I think it was Glenn Johnson and Absolutely right. um, somebody else on the same day. But Glenn Johnson was definitely the first one, I think. And Wayne Bridge followed soon afterwards. Uh, so straight away, you saw what they were trying to do. Wayne Bridge, consistent, solid. Glenn was, I think, 18 at the time. He was really young, yeah. He was very young. But what they did straight away was bring in two players that improved that Chelsea defence. And I think that's where Newcastle had got to start. But I think if they make those three signings and those three signings, head of recruitment, manager, first player, and they all send out good messages, then that will start to show you where they're going. And one last thing, very, very briefly, they talk about wanting to win the league and do this. Let's not forget there are three high caliber sides for if you if you take the players not necessarily the manager but the players at Manchester United it will not be easy for Newcastle to conquer even this Premier League let alone the world that is true that, that is true and I think the fans understand that they need to be patient in that regard I, I think you're completely right about getting the structure correct sporting director is incredibly important I think what you will see over the course of time is I don't really buy the idea that they are going to walk out in January with an open checkbook and start signing loads and loads of superstar players. I don't even think they'll do that next summer. I think, bearing in mind what we've heard from them so far, that they're more likely to take an approach of softly, softly, steady, steady, build from the bottom upwards. The first thing they really need to do is sort the training ground out, because from what I understand, it's a bit of a mess 
Um, they want to build the academy. They want to use the examples of Chelsea and of Manchester City, who spent a lot of money funding those academies and the development of talent in the early years and are only now really starting to see the fruits of those labours. So, and that's with Chelsea's situation, that's 18, 17, 18 years. And in Manchester City's world, I think it's about 13 years since they started doing all that. So it takes time before you start seeing the ultimate benefits for everything that you put in place right at the very, very beginning. But strategy and long-term planning is going to be incredibly important if that club is going to establish itself as a superpower for the next Sam, 20 I, years. Can I ask you though, Sam, do, do you not believe then that's why it, it, it could be that they accelerate the recruitment process for high-caliber players? Because all of the teams that we've just mentioned, Chelsea, Man United, Liverpool, City, um, they're not going anywhere. If anything, they're going to get stronger. Because no, I, I don't the think they're not going to spend money on high-caliber talent. I think they'll do that. But I think they'll also ensure that the, the base layer is put in place, the foundations are put in place for, for longer-term success. And it would be quite, I think, negligent of them if they didn't do that. I mean, if you look at the Premier League as a whole, the teams that have got the best structures behind the first team are the ones that have sustained success rather mm. than the ones that go out and spend loads of money and then that runs out and then they dip. I think my point is that they're, they're going to have to try and find a way to do both. They can't, Absolutely, they, all, yeah. the, all the other clubs, they were able to make the mistakes, as you were saying, Crook, and Chelsea were able to buy young players that were improving. They were also spending on. money on well, well-established stars. They spent money on Hernan Crespo, Juan Sebastian Not in the first Laurent. season. Not the in second, the first summer. Second and third the season first, they did. Yeah, so the first season they bought Jeremy, I think Duff, I think Oga Johnson was Scott already... Parker. Scott Parker came in second summer. It wasn't that first summer. Um, there, there was some very good play. I mean, listen, I think we're all agreed that it, it, it is going to be a fascinating recruitment process. But I, I'm just, I don't even know in my own mind whether I'm certain that they're going to go in hard to buy higher caliber players immediately. or But I just don't think they can afford to take a softly, softly approach because the other teams they're trying to overhaul for the reasons you've just said are already very strong in terms of infrastructure and squad depth. I, I think there has to be some kind of reality involved as well. I've heard on TalkSport people suggesting that Newcastle should now be part of the conversation when it comes to Erling Haaland. That simply isn't <laughs> going to happen. You know, he, he's going to join one of the, the, the established teams, one of the teams who play in the Champions League season in, season out. And I, I guess that's a difficult job for the owners. They need to, they need to balance excitement amongst the supporters and, and listen, those supporters deserve to be excited after so long suffering under Mike Ashley with reality. And uh, as you say, it's going to be, as an outsider looking in, it's going to be fascinating. It would it would make a great Amazon documentary, wouldn't it? Oh, that's Thank a good you. idea. Let's do that. Let's do that. Let's do that. Uh, just, just, <laughs> let's, just in case our memories are slightly fogged, let me tell you the signings that Chelsea brought in in their first summer under uh, Roman Abramovich. Uh, Glenn Johnson on the 15th of July for £6 million, West Ham United. Jeremy from Real Madrid, £7 million the next day. Five days later, Damien Duff uh, for £17 million. Then Wayne Bridge for £7 million. And then at the start of August, they bought in Juan Veron for £15 million. Joe Cole, Adrian Mutu, Alexis Mertin, Hernan Crespo and Claude Makaleli. Yeah. quickly followed six months later by uh, Scott Parker. Not a bad spending spree in the first six months, I wouldn't suggest. 
So that would basically go with what I was saying about it may be that they do bring in higher caliber players fairly quickly because they do need to they need to get up the table. That when you go to players and you try to attract them, they'll turn around and they'll say, "Where are you in the nineteenth oh, in the league?" And and straight away, I mean, just, you're gonna have to offer them a king's ransom anyway. But your league position is, you can't dream of overhauling those teams at the top if you're nowhere near that we've, conversation in the first place. We've been talking about this probably too long on this podcast because we've still got a couple of games to do. But I will ask this question. Does do geography cause them a bit of an issue as well? Yes, no. I think it does. I, I think it does um, because it, clearly it's easier to persuade players to come to London and arguably to Manchester in City's case than it is to Newcastle. But even City was there. a bit of an issue at yeah, the beginning. Yeah, yeah I, it, I think it is a problem. D- Darren is shaking his head, but I think that is another situation that the owners need to navigate around. Because Let me ask you a question. It's, it's Let me ask you a question. To recruit players to the North East. Let me ask you a question. If somebody offered you right now... <laughs> I'm just booking my train. <laughs> I'm going to Newcastle. Well, I'm quite, fine I haven't even finished. Exactly. No, don't worry about it. I'm going. I've gone. Don't worry. You don't have to finish it. And, and a bit like Steve Bruce, he's got 999 problems, but cash ain't going to be one. Uh, right. <laughs> let's move on to the rest of the week's games. Welcome to the main stage. 3 0 to Liverpool. Unstoppable shot by Mo Salah. And it's 5 0 to Manchester City. And they could be heading for their third successive 5 0 victory here. Cristiano Ronaldo, it just had to be him. Smash, grab, wallop. It's cooked in by Pierre Emerick Aubameyang. Never right off Brentford. They've done it again. They've come back to level the match at three goals apiece. What a finish from Romelu Lukaku. He's on the score sheet in blue at Stamford Bridge now. Tottenham Hotspur, who arrived in South London at the top of the table, soundly beaten. What a goal on the counter-attack from Andros Townsend. And the toppies put Manchester United in another sticky patch. The Premier League is back well and truly. Leicester against Manchester United uh, is Saturday 3 o'clock and Leicester take on uh, the team from Old Trafford having won just once in six and that was against Norwich. Uh, They have had serious injury problems and that feels like a bit of a theme of the podcast really this week. Uh, But Rafa Varane's injury has added to an already complicated situation at United. Harry Maguire also suffering with a calf problem still. Leicester's first 11 decimated in Didi, Evans, Fafana, Justin, all would start a fit. And they just haven't looked sharp enough for this season, giving up two goal leads against Napoli and Crystal Palace last time out in the Premier League. What are we expecting this time, Crook? I think it might finish 6 all. Um, to be honest. When you look at Manchester United's injury problems defensively that you just talked about, the thought of... Victor Lindelof and Eric Bai being put together uh, as a partnership frightens the living daylights out of me. And Leicester are a side who have conceded goals this season as well, mainly because uh, of the absences that you've mentioned. So this this is certainly not going to be nil-nil, put it that way. And again, this is a big game for Manchester United. They've got a really difficult period of fixtures coming up between now and the end of November and we've talked about Ralph Hasen, who's being under pressure. We've talked about Bielsa being under pressure. You know that I think, and I think Darren's already alluded to it, that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer should be under pressure. 
this is a game when you look at their run of fixtures that they really need to win. But I'm just not convinced with those absentees, they will. Well, he might be under pressure soon because this is a key period for Manchester United, Darren. Away at Leicester, Atalanta at home, Liverpool at home, Tottenham away, Atalanta away, and then the Manchester derby. I don't think it's a stretch to suggest that the next three weeks could define their season. Yeah, I agree. I think he he's under pressure, not because anyone wants to give him a hard time, but he's at a massive club with massive players. I There's do. been a, a no, stop it. You don't, been a you lot don't. That's not true. You, you, you're no, not as no, nasty as true. you make out. No, that, is, that, that, that isn't true. I want him to succeed. I'm just not convinced he will. Well, and, and that's a feeling that's shared by a lot of people. And just like we were saying about Steve Bruce at the start of the podcast, you have to look at the run of form. Nine home league games that they've conceded. It's their worst run for 50 years. And he, at the moment, he's not getting the best out of a very talented squad of players. Yes, there are injuries, but there are lots of managers that would get more out of this group. That's why he's under pressure. And that's why if he doesn't get a good result, against Leicester this weekend, that pressure will increase. One former international midfielder said to me this week, the problem is you're playing with Ronaldo up top. He gives you nothing off the ball. So as a result, you're defending with one less man than you probably need to in those big games against other teams that are very, very good. And when you play Manchester City in a couple of weeks, that could end up being a problem for Manchester United. Uh, nine of Leicester's last 12 home league games have featured at least three goals and more entertainment appears to be on the cards, especially if Crook's prediction is correct. Aston Villa Wolves, three o'clock. Too many good games at three o'clock on a Saturday for me. But anyway, uh, Aston Villa against Wolves is a historical rivalry that fits into that category. Villa weren't impressive against Spurs, but had been in two of their previous big games and they will not let Wolves off the hook if they pass up chances, Darren. I like Aston Villa. Um, I'm sure Dean Smith will be delighted to hear that. <laughs> You're so spiky today. I don't know what's the matter with you. I just got up um, late. I think as far as Aston Villa are concerned, they've got goals in them. They're a different side to the side that um, relied so heavily on Jack Grealish last season. And I think they'll beat Wolves. We're finding their stride, but there's still too many holes in that defence. I think as far as Aston Villa are concerned, do we know whether or not Leon Bailey is fit again? Because if he is, then I think he'll be a big, big weapon for them. And I, I can't see anything other than a Villa victory, actually. Well, Leon Bailey could make a return, which would be uh, an added bonus for Aston Villa. Wolves' success might hinge on Huang and Jimenez playing together. They seem to have uh, built up an immediate understanding. Manchester City against Burnley is three o'clock on uh, Saturday. Manchester City have already scored five against Arsenal, five against Norwich, six against Leipzig and seven against Wickham. How many will they get against Burnley, uh, who have lost 5-0 in each of their last four League and Cup visits to City Crook? You've taken the words right out of my mouth there because Burnley always lose 5-0 to Manchester City and it's difficult on what we've seen so far to predict uh, anything other than a, a very comprehensive defeat for the Clarets. We've talked to a lot about teams in trouble and, and, and those that could well be involved in the relegation shake-up. You have to say Burnley, uh, very much one of those, third from bottom at the moment. Um, don't score enough goals, concede too many. It's a pretty deadly combination I suppose the only positive for Sean Dyche is that this is coming off the back of an international break. Manchester City's players uh, will have trodden to all corners of the globe. Listen, I'm not saying Burnley are going to get a point from the game because of that, but but maybe on that basis, City might just declare at three because it's a big Champions League week coming up as well. And Pep will probably have the roulette wheel out in terms of which players start this game and which players he keeps on cold ice for Europe. 
Um, Burnley yet to win, unlikely to get one this weekend. Um, Norwich also yet to win. They take on Brighton at three o'clock on Saturday. Uh, the Canaries have collected one point so far. Brighton showed enough in the opening weeks of the season, though, Darren, to suggest that Norwich will struggle to get any more this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, Brighton really should have beaten Arsenal and it was a bit of a disappointment that they shouldn't. I think, I, I know Graham Potter was saying, actually, we did really well and refused to be hard on his players, but I don't think we should patronise Brighton anymore. They're a serious side with very, very good players and I, I think it's time to judge them to a higher standard. And that Arsenal side were there for the taking. They were poor in defence. They were dominated uh, by the Seagulls and I think with a bit better decision-making in the final third, Brighton would and should have won. They're too good for Norwich. Norwich not good enough to be in this division. I think as the weeks go on, it will become more and more apparent and I expect Brighton to win easily. Everton-West Ham, 2 o'clock on Sunday. Everton got a draw at Old Trafford but deserved a little bit more. West Ham, as I think I, I suggested, they might. Came unstuck against Brentford. My feeling was the schedule might just catch up with them and a, a good rest was essential for David Moyes' side who have won just one of their last five Premier League games, Darren. Yeah, um, and I was very surprised that they didn't beat Brentford. As I said before, I was at that game and once West Ham equalised, it looked as though there would only be one winner, but Brentford too strong and they'll stun a lot of other teams this season. I think this is a really good match between two very progressive teams who are going to fight to be the best of the rest. And by that, I mean, even though Newcastle have got that new money, I still don't think this season they're going to be up in that top six and that's quite hard to say and i probably get confounded later on but Everton the, and West Ham Newcastle aren't going to finish in the top six I mean they're already I'm 11 the... points behind that. that that isn't going to happen 11 points is nothing at this stage of the season though come on but they can't there's strengthen no, the squad no until January the Newcastle are going to finish yeah, in the but... top six alright listen I, I'm I'll tell you what I'll way. bet you right that Newcastle don't finish in the top six and if they do I'll buy us all dinner, right? And I'll actually right. do it. You know, I'll just say it. I'll actually do it. I'll actually organise it and everything. What, what's, what's more likely, Newcastle finishing in the top six or, or West Ham keeping a clean sheet this weekend? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Everton very well structured. And these two actually have got, you know, obviously the two coaches of two, the 2000s, really, you know, uh, as far as... Uh, the managers are concerned, Everton's uh, Rafa Benitez and West Ham's David Moyes. Uh, they're fourth going into the weekend, Everton, but they'll still be missing Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Richarlison, Andre Gomez, Seamus Coleman, Fabian Delph. Um, Rondon hasn't hit the ground running, so a lot really wet rests on the wide boys, Gray and Townsend, doesn't it, Crook? They've been excellent so far this season, both probably in the, in the top five signings of the summer. Andros Townsend in particular looks reborn uh, Goodison Park and I do wonder what the hierarchy at Crystal Palace uh, are making of his running form given that he gave them ample opportunity to extend his contract but but given the list of absentees that you've just read out there this is a big opportunity for West Ham because clearly Everton aren't the same side uh, without Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison I think not having Seamus Coleman upsets the balanced defence as well if West Ham are there if they're organised, as we know they, they tend to be under David Moyes, they've got plenty of attacking options of their own. I, I could see an away win in this game, and I think it would be a real statement result for West Ham to show that last year wasn't a flash in the pan. They're determined to be part of the, the European conversation for the foreseeable future. 
Fans are a big part of uh, everything uh, that uh, is good about the uh, Premier League. I was uh, I had a brief sort of jaunt over to Andorra on uh, Friday, and I say brief. Very brief. It was it was thirteen <laughs> hours um, because I got there and then uh, I had dinners that, that, that took longer. <laughs> you've definitely had drinks, night outs that have lasted longer. Um, <laughs> But I got there, and um, as soon as I landed, it was revealed to me that our TV gantry, where Dicko and I were supposed to be stationed, was set alight. And as a result of that, all the equipment had burnt, so we couldn't do the commentary on site, and we had to go back uh, to the UK and do it uh, from there. But one of the great things that came out of Saturday night's game in Andorra was the supporters, who uh, started singing um, at the end of the second half. We didn't start the fire... It was ITV. It was ITV. It wasn't ITV, but but it was just a it was a, it was a great song um, from uh, the supporters who always add a little bit of colour whenever you go on tour with England or any other team as well. Uh, so we'll leave you with Billy Joel and we didn't start the fire. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.